Good morning. Well, we are in the midst uh, of a sermon series uh, called Jesus Way, looking at uh, the life and times of Jesus, his uh, ministry on earth, and uh, what exactly the implications are for us as his friends and followers. Uh, Luke and Acts um, were written really as, as kind of a narrative to um, show us exactly what Jesus did and also to call us to a radically different kind of life. So at the moment, we're in the middle of a really long uh, block of teaching and sayings uh, of Jesus as he journeys closer and closer uh, towards Jerusalem where he will be uh, condemned uh, and crucified. And one of the major themes that we find in Luke is how Jesus consistently breaks down barriers with those on the absolute margins of society as well as foreigners and strangers. And we see this in stories such as uh, the sinful woman, uh, the wealthy tax collector, and the crucified criminal who's crucified alongside Jesus. What we see in Luke is a Jesus calling people to live as he lives. And this would have been a radical contradiction to Luke's audience, where everything was about status, privilege, and power in the Roman world. Instead, what we see are behaviors which grew out of service in the kingdom, to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to extend hospitality to those who simply cannot reciprocate, to give without expecting a return. So how is this kind of kingdom life possible for us? Well, we find in the scriptures is that it's only possible through a radical reshaping of ourselves, only through encountering the goodness of God. In other words, encountering Jesus Christ and having a saving faith in him. And it's a work birthed in prayer and carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's no coincidence that immediately after talking about how to treat your neighbor and to worship God, something that we looked at last week, that Jesus brings things back to the place of prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we will be exploring this morning. I'm only going to preach on the first 13 verses. I'm sure that you'll be glad to to hear uh, and in Luke, this is, this is another key theme that we find. There's a real stress on the Holy Spirit as the empowerer of Jesus and of prayer. And often Luke has been called the charismatic gospel in the sense that the work of the Holy Spirit is really highlighted by Luke. Indeed, in regard to prayer, uh, we see more prayers uh, of Jesus recorded in Luke than in any other gospel. In fact, we have 11 in total And we constantly and consistently see Jesus retreating to places of silent prayer, praying to his Father for guidance before he does anything else. And this is something that he models out to his disciples, and by extension, he models out to us today. There's a call to pray persistently, to do it with humility, to do it regularly and to ask things of God. And as a church, this is something in this season that we feel really called to. We just began the 40 days of Lent, um, and this is a time traditionally when the church is down on its knees in prayer. 
and we'd really encourage you to, to be a part of that. So before I jump into the passage, I'd just love to begin with a quick story. So we have a, a family friend who um, loves to holiday uh, in Turkey. He loves to travel around. He loves the culture. He loves the food. He loves the people. He loves the scenery. Um, so he's often found going into Turkish bazaars and buying things. He's often found in the barbers, getting a hot towel shave and a haircut, and just really, really loves Turkey. And so on one occasion, he was uh, visiting one of the local bazaars, and um, he went into one of the shops uh, to buy something. And so he got chatting to the owner of the shop. The conversation was flowing. He actually ended up buying something from him. Uh, and the Turkish man uh, said as he was leaving the shop, well, anytime you return to Turkey, you're more than welcome to come and stay at my house. And as a parting comment, um, our friend said, yes, yeah, sure, if you, if you ever, for some reason, end up in Ireland, you're more than welcome to come and stay at our house. No addresses were exchanged, no phone numbers, no emails, nothing at all, just a parting comment. So he, he returned back to Ireland, uh, back to the office. Uh, a few weeks later, uh, the secretary uh, gave him a call and said, um, so there's, there's someone looking for you, they're, they're downstairs. I think you should come down. <laughs> and so he came down the stairs and there was the Turkish man with an absolutely massive suitcase in tow behind him. And he said, hi, I, I've come to stay at your house. What was he going to do? Was he going to turn them away? Well, no, he actually, he actually brought him home to his house. And he didn't stay one week. He didn't stay two weeks. He stayed three weeks in total. His fridge was empty. He ate him out of house and home. And he got to stay for free. Uh, and I think from this, this story of the Turkish man, I think there's something for us to learn um, that we can link in with our passage today. Um, because the Turkish man stayed not because he had a deep and meaningful friendship with our friend, but because I, I feel firstly he arrived, secondly he was bold, and thirdly he actually asked if he could stay. And so as we dive uh, into the passage, I just want you to hold that thought. My first point today uh, is the kingdom prayer. So what does prayer look like in the kingdom of God? In the first four verses, we see that Jesus is praying in a certain place. And as he finishes, one of his disciples comes to him and states that he wants to learn to pray, just as John the Baptist has taught his disciples. And what Jesus does, he responds with, with a slightly shorter version of the Lord's Prayer that, that most of us will be familiar with from Matthew. But in its substance, this is essentially the same prayer. And what we find here is, is the prayer for those on a kingdom adventure. And the key point here is that we are dependent as God's children on God who is a loving father. In verse 2, the prayer simply begins with Father. And the language in the Greek harks back to the Aramaic word Abba, which is a term of intimacy. It is the language of adoption. It is the language of relationship. And it's here in that particular verse that we see how we are to relate to God in prayer not in a distant kind of way. Yes, God, of course, is our creator and he's vast, but he's to be known. 
and we are to exist as a people known by him. And this doesn't nullify our respect for God, but it gives us in prayer a picture of comfort. Because God, the great all-powerful God, is also our Father. Hallowed be your name. Well, what does that mean? Well, names, they were more than a label in Hebrew culture. They actually meant something about that particular person's character or their function. And what we find in the scriptures is that God's name is important. It needs to be sanctified. It needs to be glorified. And that's, why is that exactly? Well, firstly, because he's worthy of it. And secondly, it's because we've actually soiled his name through sinfulness and brokenness. So how can God's name be sanctified again? I love what uh, Daryl Bach has to say about this. He says, God is holy, set apart from all others, and the kingdom's coming will show this to be true in a way that nothing else can. And this is why we pray, your kingdom come, your rule and reign be brought to bear here for the things of heaven to come down and reverse the things of darkness here on our earth. We also see from this prayer that Jesus teaches that our needs are important to him. Not in the sense that we're praying for a Ferrari, um, but we find that it's okay to ask things of God. It's okay to ask for our daily needs. In verse four, we see that the forgiveness that Jesus offers us teaches us a lesson about how we are to treat others. Because we've experienced forgiveness and reconciliation in this kind of vertical uh, sense between ourselves and God, it teaches us how we are to relate with others around us in a horizontal sense. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God gave you. And again in Colossians, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive as the Lord forgive you. My second point, and kind of going back to the story of the the Turkish man, is that we should pray with shameless audacity. We see this in verses five to eight. So to illustrate um, how we as children of God's can ask things of God, Jesus tells a parable or a story, just like the one I've told this morning. And basically what happens is a friend arrives at the door uh, in need of somewhere to sleep. To set the scene, he's been traveling for a long time. He's dusty, he's hungry. And also in ancient Israel, there were no shops and there was certainly no 24-hour Tesco. Bread was baked once a day. And the friend can't be turned away because in that culture, the custom was to show hospitality to strangers and friends alike. What's going to happen here? What are we going to do? Whatever happens here, it's going to be awkward. I suppose they could ask the neighbor for some bread. 
Indeed, in the context, and what makes this especially awkward is that everyone was sleeping in the one room. So the whole family would be together, probably sleeping on a mat or a rug. So firstly, the neighbor's going to have to be woken up. Secondly, in those days, to bar the door, you would have had a long iron pole put through rings. So whenever your neighbor gets up, he's going to have to pull this thing out and it's going to make a lot of noise and there might be children and there might be gurning and wailing and it's just going to be, it's going to be messy. And the question really is, which of you has the nerve to wake up the neighbor and his family at midnight to ask for bread? And the whole point of this story is that if an irritated person responds to boldness, so you can be bold with the gracious one in whom we have friendship because God is approachable and he should be approached often and with confidence. And the punchline of the parable we find is in verse eight. Your neighbor will not get up to give you the bread because of your friendship, but because of your shameless audacity. I just love how the NIV translates that as shameless audacity. And you see, my question um, You see, what Jesus is encouraging here, um, as N.T. Wright calls it, is a kind of holy boldness. And so my question, uh, as we begin to dream and prepare for a busy year of mission in this church, is are we as a people hungry? Are we praying prayers of shameless audacity? Is our mindset one of absolute dependency on God in prayer? Asking him to move in big and small ways, in our lives, in our town, in our island, in our world. And we know from church history, looking back, that mighty moves of God, they were often birthed from a place of shameless audacity and prayer and trust. When we look at the 1859 Ulster Revival, this was sparked by four young men in Kells, just outside of Ballymena, who simply chose to meet together and to pray. Going even back uh, further in our history, looking at Bangor Abbey and the community that existed there, it was a, it was a center for learning and of mission. But as well, what's striking about the place is that it was absolutely saturated in regular, fervent, and faith-filled prayer. And I, I don't know about you, but I love looking back at stories of what God has done in the past. But I don't want to think that that was only available for them then. I want to be part of God's mission in the here and now for our time. And I believe to see this realized, what it's going to take is a real boldness in prayer. My final point is that we need to trust in a, a gracious father. So to have this shameless audacity in prayer is something that we're invited to into by God. When the disciples are exhorted to ask, seek, and knock, there's this sense of being activists in prayer. And the Greek text wants to hint at this idea of continually asking, continually seeking, 
continually knocking. The German reformer and theologian Martin Luther once said that prayer is the sweat of the soul. I want to ask, are we as a congregation sweating in prayer, going after the things of the kingdom in regular patterns of prayer? Are we cultivating that as a people? Are we praying for the lost? Are we praying for the broken? Are we praying for the poor? Are we praying for our leaders? How badly do we want this? Do we want it enough to ask, to seek, to knock, until God answers us? And to take risks that press on our timidity? Because we're allowed to ask. The seeking is an invitation to pursue God and his will. Are we seeking him? To knock is a picture of desperately asking to come into his presence to talk and meet with him. We are to engage with God actively to seek his blessing. Surely you might say he knows all of this. He's a sovereign God. He's a God who knows everything. He knows how it's going to end up. He knows our needs, he knows our desires, even knows our desires to see the kingdom come in this place. Well, yes, I, I want to say that that's true. But God is also a God of tender concern, a God of relationship. And he actually wants us to cry out to him in prayer. He wants us to petition him. He wants us to ask things of him. And the best gift that God can give from himself in prayer is actually more of himself, more of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to reach out and do mission. And we know that we have little to offer to those whose lives are a mess, because we know that our lives too can often be quite messy. But with the Spirit of God, we do indeed have something to give. It is he who empowers us to bind up broken hearts, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. It is his presence that goes with us into the office, into our universities, into our homes, and into the world. It is the giving of our yes to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our lives that genuine change happens. That old sins, hurts and hang-ups are broken off. It is the Holy Spirit that brings character change and fruit and it is the Holy Spirit that gives gifts. And it is the Holy Spirit that testifies with our spirits that we are indeed loved by him and his children. And so as we come in for a landing here this morning, uh, I have a few responses that I, I feel as a congregation that we may want to make. And the first was uh, as a people to begin to commit to pray in our own personal lives. Jesus provided us with a perfect model for the Lord's Prayer. Maybe that's something that you want to enact this week in your own personal times of prayer. 
Maybe too, it's to begin to ask with shameless audacity, with this holy boldness that I've talked about for the things of God, to see your friends and your family encounter Jesus and put their, uh, have a saving faith in him. Perhaps it's to see healing and hope brought to people in despair. Perhaps it's for the poor. Perhaps it's for this town. Perhaps it's for a part of the world where there's a lot of suffering. Secondly, as I was praying for us as a congregation, I really felt that the Holy Spirit is beginning to place burdens, good burdens, on you. Uh, We've talked a bit about how we want to go on a year of mission as a church. And actually what the Holy Spirit, I feel, has been doing is uh, placing these impressions upon you of things that you might want to do in this year of mission, in ways that you might want to serve, or particular ideas and how we can begin to reach out and bless Bangor. And if that's you, um, I feel that it would be a really good idea for you to either to approach myself or Nigel. And as well, we'll have a prayer ministry team at the front. And if, if you begin, you're beginning to feel that burden even now as I talk about it, I'd really encourage you to come forward for prayer and ministry. And it may be that you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit because we leak. The prayer ministry team would love to to pray for you to receive more of the Holy Spirit because he's going to show up and give it. Finally, it might be to commit to praying for our church, our town, our country, the world. And uh, as Nigel had mentioned, um, we give out Lent cards um, a couple of weeks back. Uh, if you haven't got one of those, um, they're at the welcome desk. Feel free to collect one. And we just encourage you each day, be that at the middle time, be that before you go out to work, be that at the end of your day, just to pray through some of the points that we have there. As well, we're going to have a prayer room in operation here uh, around the time uh, of Easter. There'll be a 24 7 style prayer room. We'd really encourage you when that becomes available to become part of that. And as well, coming up on the 4th of March, we're going to have an evening of extended worship and prayer where we're going to come into God's presence. We're going to worship Him, giving Him glory and honor as He deserves. And we're also going to ask things of Him as a community. Would really encourage you to come along for that. So the worship team are are going to come up now and lead us in a song. And as we worship, um, even let the song be a prayer. And as you worship, begin to um, ask God for things that you want to see change in. Pray for your family members, your friends. And if any of those points resonated with you, let's respond. Let's be a responsive people. So I'll just pray.